My job is to lead a church. My task is to give God much glory and to encourage you. My job is to be a husband. My task is to make sure that my wife feels loved. My job is to help coach a high school football team. My task is to help young men discover who they truly are. Your job is to believe. Your task is to act like it. Hear the words of James chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are not they the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy. To one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he or she has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save them? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Boy, it was hard to um, zone in on one particular section of James chapter 2 for you this week, but I'm trying to 
preach shorter sermons, and so I am required to focus not on the entire chapter, but just on one particular section, as I'm sure you know from having read James 2, or perhaps if you've heard it today for the first time, you realize this is a very, very rich chapter. I look forward to the day when I can preach through entire chapters again, but today is not that day. We are in Connect to the Source, 10 weeks of practical and poetic wisdom for living from James and 1 John. I'm playing biblical ping pong between the two books, James one week, 1 John the next week. My hope here is to help connect you to Jesus to help you navigate this season in the valley. The big idea for this week, week three, is this. Prove it. Real faith requires action. Real faith requires action. So let me say again what I said off the top. Your job is to believe. Your task is to act like it. I'm going to show you seven ways today to actively connect to the source. All right, so if that's your task, to act like you believe, I'm going to give you seven ways that you can actively connect to the source. First way you can do this, you can actively connect to the source by recognizing that the ripple effect is real. You can recognize that the ripple effect is real. I get this out of verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled. What's interesting here is that James, who we met two weeks ago, the brother of Jesus, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, who is writing here about Abraham approximately 2,000 years removed from the life of Abraham. Think about how long that is. That's like us writing today about the life of Jesus. Okay, it's that same distance. It's a very long time. Think about how much our world has changed in the last 2,000 years. And then imagine how much the world must have changed from when James was writing back to the days of Abraham, the days about about which he was writing. 2,000 years is a very long time time. And what James, in effect, is saying here is that God's promises to Abraham came true. You could read it that way, and the scripture was fulfilled, or put in today's vernacular, and God's promises to Abraham came true. What I find interesting and inspiring about this is that you can bet that Abraham, during his lifetime, had no idea that God's promises to him were coming true. Jenny read for you off the top of today's service out of Hebrews chapter 11, and I want to revisit it here for a second, focusing on verse 13 through verse 16. Speaking here about the heroes of the biblical faith, all these heroes, so all of the heroes that appear in Hebrews chapter 11, all these heroes, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and sojourners on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking about that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, receive it, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Let's think for a minute here about the ripple effect of Abraham's life. All we need is names, really, and then a few events. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I've preached you through the lives of these patriarchs over the last three years. Now let's think about the descendants of Jacob, the people of Israel. Let's think about what came through the people of Israel, the law, 
and the prophets. Let's think past the 400 years of silence to the coming of the Messiah. Let's think for a moment on the great salvation that Jesus wrought for us upon Calvary's tree. Let's think about the Holy Spirit being sent to indwell Jesus' followers after Christ's ascension back to the Father's right hand. Let's think about the ripple effect as the Spirit empowered those first believers to take the message of Jesus and the way of Jesus and spread it to the entire world. Maybe spend some time this week studying the history of Christianity and see the massive ways in which the Christian witness and story has absolutely radically transformed the world as we know it. The ripple effect of Abraham's life was massive. And what's beautiful about it is that he didn't live to see it. Okay, His life had a massive effect on the world and he had no idea. Yes, God promised it to him and he believed God and God accounted that to him as righteousness, but he never saw it. He never saw it. If you want to actively connect to the source this week, live like Abraham. Live this week as if your life is having a massive ripple effect. Even if you can't see it, I bet that that will give you courage in the midst of your plain days. I bet that that will give you inspiration in the midst of troubled times. If you ever find yourself feeling like I sometimes feel like I have wasted my life, believe like Abraham believed and think of yourself as if your life is like Abraham's life having a massive ripple effect, even though you may not see it. And, point number two, buy into this established, ancient, objective, supernaturally inspired, historically proven story that you have been caught up in. I get this out of verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled. I want you to note here that the scripture is the authority upon which James is building his worldview. And the scripture was fulfilled. This leads me to ask you, what authority are you building your life on? There is no such thing as somebody who's building their life on no authority whatsoever. Even somebody who thinks they are building their life upon no authority is ultimately building their life upon their own authority. You've met Mike, the uh, beer hockey league dude, who is an authority on anything and everything. He knows about politics, he knows about beer, he knows about hockey, he knows about stocks, he knows about social causes, he's got an opinion on everything, and it's very clear to tell from five minutes talking to him that he considers himself the final authority on everything. Okay, most of the people you know who do not acknowledge the authority of the Bible are living under their own authority. Everybody is living under authority. Authority of some kind. So you need to pick which. You're going to live under Mike, the beer league hockey guy's authority, or like me, are you going to learn to live under the authority of the most storied, historically rooted, beloved, culture shaping text in human history? I don't know about you, but I am going to live under the authority of the Bible. And for each one of us who says that, it behooves us, the moment we say it, to hear a little voice in our head reminding us to get to know our Bibles better. Because wouldn't it be a foolish thing to say I'm seeking to live under the authority of this book and to not know it very well? You don't have to dig very far to uh, discover that there is a huge problem in the North American church when it comes to biblical illiteracy. 
the average church-going person you know barely reads their Bible at all. The average church-going person you know barely studies their Bible at all. And here's the real shame about that. In not studying the Bible, you are neglecting the greatest resource in existence for getting to know the God of the universe. It's right there. It's assembled, it's collected, it's organized, it's been researched and studied and interpreted. If you buy a good study Bible, half of the text, as you can see in mine, is interpretation. So this half is the text, this half is interpretation. This half is the text, this half is interpretation. It's all there for the having. But so many of us spend so little time in the Bible. I want to encourage you to get to know your Bible so well that you unconsciously begin acting like it. This is when Bible knowledge becomes beautiful. Not so that you can use it as a weapon to win arguments. Not so you can use it as a tool to talk people into corners. But so that God can use it as a means of grace to bend your will to His. So that God can use it as a means of grace to bend the habits of your life to His way. But if you do not study the Bible, if you do not study the Scriptures, you will not find yourself able to unconsciously begin acting like it. The third thing you can do as you actively seek to connect to the source is you can learn to trust God's pattern of promise as revealed in the biblical story. Something fun that will happen as you begin studying the Bible, you will get to know what God is like. And as you dig deeper into the stories of God and his people as contained in the Bible, you will begin to see how God routinely acts. And one of the ways in which God routinely acts is illustrated like this. God promises. You walk it out for a while. God comes through. This is his pattern of promise. God promises. You walk it out for a while. God promises comes through. Now, if you know the Bible like I do, you could laugh with me, as I did when I wrote this, knowing that sometimes you walk for 40 days and 40 nights, and sometimes you walk for 40 years. And we know, of course, that these idiomatic terms, 40 days, 40 nights, 40 years, they are sometimes in Judaism symbolic of a very simple way of putting it, a very long time. So receive it. Sometimes God promises. You walk that promise out for a very long time. Can I get one amen in this house? And then, eventually, God comes through. If you want to actively connect to the source, trust God's pattern of promise. Here's how you can do that. When God promises something to you, now most of the time, he'll promise you something through his word. You're studying the Bible and you feel like the promise contained in the passage you're reading is somehow across all these years for you. I want to encourage you as your pastor to receive that promise. Sometimes you receive a promise from God in your prayer life. You'll be listening to God and talking with God. Sometimes it'll happen as you're worshiping the Lord. You'll feel like he sets a promise in your heart. For me, it often feels like he sets a kernel of hope right in my chest. So when you feel God set that promise in your heart, I want to invite you to receive it. Then once you've received that promise, get walking. Okay, You need to begin walking that promise out. You need to begin acting as if God has given you a promise and you know that one day he will fulfill it. 
Okay, the future fulfillment of that promise can drive you to act in the present as if that promise has already come true. You're working towards the promise. I don't know about you, but most of the time for me, that's enough to get me up and to get me doing. Receive the promise, begin walking it out, keep walking it out, and then this is a very important point, watch for signs of fulfillment. And every time you see a sign of fulfillment, make a note of it. I was taught this through a book that my wife and I read years ago. It talked about celebrating every win. And it talked about watching for cheerleaders. The author was suggesting that God will sometimes, in his kindness, send cheerleaders into your life. As you walk out his promise in faith, sometimes, you know, staving off disbelief by the skin of your teeth. God will sometimes, in his mercy, send a cheerleader in that little sign that you need that reminds you that you're on the right path. That it wasn't just bad pizza you ate last night that gave you this crazy idea. That God's promises truly are yes and amen. And that he is good and he will bring to completion that thing which he has begun in you. Somebody say amen. So, watch for those signs of fulfillment, even the early signs. This has been very important for me in my years as a church planter and a pastor. I celebrate every new family who shows up. I celebrate every time I see somebody beginning to worship the Lord in a more exuberant way. I celebrate every time we have more resources to deploy on Jesus' mission here in this town. I celebrate every time somebody smiles at me after I preach. Okay, that's my life. You can do the same in yours. Receive God's promise, begin walking it out, keep walking it out, and watch for signs of fulfillment while, point number four, making sure that you believe the right thing. Still in verse 23, Abraham believed God. Let me just say, everybody believes in something. It's it's just true. Right, let me walk through the classic categories for you. The believer believes in their faith. I have faith in God. I believe in my faith. The agnostic believes in their uncertainty. That's what it means to be an agnostic. I'm not sure if God exists. The agnostic believes in their uncertainty. The skeptic believes in their doubt. That's what it means to be a skeptic. I doubt that that's possible. I doubt that that's true. I have doubts about that. The skeptic believes in their doubt, and the atheist believes in their unbelief. Everybody believes in something. My question for you, especially in these times, and I'm hoping that you're sharing these messages with your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, and your peers, those in your social network who you know are beginning in these difficult days to search for something more. I want to ask you, friend, as you watch this for perhaps the first time, what is that thing that you believe in? What is the basis of your belief, and most importantly, how is it holding up? In these difficult times. We are seeing worldwide a massive turning to faith. As people in the midst of this pandemic find themselves not just at their wits end, but at the end of their belief system. And they find in these difficult days that their belief system is not, after all, enough to sustain them. It is not enough, after all, to lead them through this valley of the shadow of death. And I want to tell you, friend, that many of your friends are ready now, more than they ever have been before, to come to Jesus. Or to, at the very least, consider Jesus as the answer that they have been looking for. What's the basis of your belief? And how's it holding up in these troubled times? If you want to actively 
connect to the source. You need to believe the right thing. And point number five, you need to live like your account is fat. I love this point. Still in verse 23. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Counted here means credited. Counted. Imputed. And this is what Jesus does for you. My um, favorite description of what Jesus accomplished on his cross is from C.S. Lewis, the greatest Christian writer in modern history. He talks about what's happening as Jesus hangs on the cross, as God the Son pays the penalty for your sin and mine. C.S. Lewis calls that moment the great exchange, the moment in which your badness goes to Jesus and Jesus' goodness comes to you. Put another way, in that moment at the cross, Jesus' goodness, his righteousness, is credited to your account. It is imputed to you. Imagine that. All the goodness of God the Son, who has been forever in the bosom of the Father, is given, is given to you, is imputed to you, is credited to your account. What's beautiful about this is if that is true, if that great exchange actually happened upon Calvary's tree, then everything that is Jesus's by rights is yours as you are in Christ. Hear the immortal words of Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. These are some of the best words ever. Fellow heirs with Christ. I coined this phrase when I preached you through the book of 1 Peter. You are old money now. You're old money now. You start acting like it. You start acting like you're a Carnegie. You start acting like you're a spiritual Rothschild. You start acting like you are old money, that you have been born into incomprehensible wealth. Because, my dear friend, that is exactly what happened to you at the cross. You're old money now. And, point number six, you've been given an assignment to be God's friend. Still in verse 23, and he was called a friend of God. The word called here is very important. It means, yes, called. But importantly, it means summoned. It means invited. I love this. It means named. He was named the friend of God. He was invited to be the friend of God. He was summoned to become the friend of God. He was called the friend of God. This is not just called like, hey, Mikey, come on over here, but called as in called to your task of being God's friend. This is not just called like, hey Jenny, come on over here. But this is summoned, commanded by someone who is in authority to become God's friend. My dear friends, you have not only been invited to be God's friend, you have been named God's friend. As if the king has knighted you 
I hereby W, friend of God. Your job is to follow Jesus. Your task is to become his friend. Are you hearing the Israel Houghton song in your head? I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. That is your task. This is a very important point, especially in our troubled age. God is not looking for lobbyists. He's not looking for constituents. He's not looking for loyalists. He is not even looking for activists. God is looking for friends. And if your life is anything like mine, I can bet that you know lots of people who are very good Christian loyalists. Very good Christian constituents. Very good Christian lobbyists. Very effective Christian activists. And crappy friends of God. Let it never be said of you and I that we have neglected our friendship with God most high. And Kathy, you can join me because I'm done. You become God's friend, point number seven, by clearly living the right way as an outworking of the way you bend your life to the ongoing task of placing your confidence in Jesus, who is the source. Let me read verse 24 for you and insert some of the Greek words. You see that a person is justified out of work, task, employment, deed, action, from what is wrought or made, and not by faith alone. What is faith, by the way? Well, faith, simply put, is belief. Faith is trust. Faith is confidence. Faith is fidelity. Faith is faithfulness. And who, pray tell, is the object of our faith? Well, we all know the answer. Jesus. Good Jesus. Sweet Jesus. Dear Jesus. Mighty Jesus, beautiful Jesus. Jesus is the object of our faith. And what did Jesus do? He saved. Why? Because he loved. All you got to do is go and do the same. Because it's your job to believe in Jesus. But it is your task to act like it.